I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Hi there, it's your host Janine, and you're listening to Get the Funk Out live on KUCI 88.9 FM. Happy Monday, everybody. I have very special guests calling in. We're going to connect with her in just a moment. Anne-Marie de Lebon, and she has got an amazing backstory to share about various things that have happened to her in her life. And because my show is all about this crazy roller coaster ride called life and things that happen to you and make you stronger. And at the time, you're thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to live through this? How am I going to get through this? And then you come out on, you know, ahead of the game, basically. Uh, so she's going to share with us all about some of the things that she's had to face that have been very, very tough. Uh, but again, she's made her a much stronger woman. And by the way, you're listening to Cambria Detkin in the background. She was a guest on my show a few years back. Some of you have asked in the past who this is. Uh, she's an amazing talent. Cambria Detkin, this is off her CD, Simply Said, and we'll sample a little more of her CD a little later on the show. But now we're joined by very special guest, Anne-Marie de Labon. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm in uh, snowy Colorado, and it's absolutely gorgeous outside, and I was having ask, a wonderful day. I was going to ask, is it freezing? It, it must be beautiful. I know Colorado. It's gorgeous. It is. I'm not familiar too much with the snow. I'm from Southern California, so to me, it's a treat. As long as I'm inside looking out and enjoying it from here, right. I'm, I'm having a great time. With a cup of coffee or hot chocolate. Yeah, You got it. That's exactly right. That's what I got in my hand. Nice, nice. <laughs> and yes. now, um, I, I believe I met you through a friend of mine. I think it was um, Sherilyn? Yes, that's right. From Pledge 20. That's right. That's right. And you have a very interesting backstory, and because my show is Get the Funk Out, I share with the listeners how you have a very interesting uh, backstory of various things that have happened to you that, to some, it might have really weakened them, and you really have learned to face a lot of things in your life. Well, that's true, Janine, and you know, I'd like to think that I have nine lives. I'm a, my birthday is in August, so I'm Leo, a cat, and I, I really believe I've got nine lives has been... Um, since I was a little kid, starting with around the age of three, I was bitten by a black widow, and then the the stories go on and on and on where I feel like my life has been at danger at a, at a few critical moments. And I have to admit there were some times where I was quite down and out and trying to figure out how to get through the moment. And so I've had a couple of challenges, but in the end I always wanted to find a way to find peace and happiness and not let that negative experience, life-altering experience, you know, dictate my life. Right. Yes. Let me back up a second. Now, you were bitten by a black widow spider when you were little. Did that, were you in the hospital for a long period of time? How did that affect you? I don't remember really how long it affected me uh, or or how long I was in in the hospital for, but, you know, from an early age, it was kind of a joke around the family, you know, don't let her bite you or, you know, she's... She always kind of gets into things, and I never, I always kind of looked at that as, um, 
well, I'm different in a certain way. I tend to get myself into trouble, and mm-hmm. and in some ways, I thought of it was a bit adventurous. And right. so, in in many ways, whenever something that happened to me that was life altering, some of them I just kind of rolled it off my shoulder, like, oh, mm-hmm. what's the big deal? But in reality, yeah. subconsciously, in, in some ways, it does affect me because you know you never know. Right. What life is going to have, what what life's in store for you, and and uh, that's right. Got to enjoy every moment. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And then yeah. um, I noticed in your bio, which by the way is on my blog, uh, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org, if you want to read all about Amory. And uh, at the end of the show, I'll have you throw out your website. But um, you were also in a uh, plane crash. Well, it didn't actually crash, but it was pretty darn close. Okay. You know? <laughs> I was in a four-seater plane. I was dating a guy who was a pilot, and we went out to Palm Springs for the day with another couple. Mm-hmm. And i got to tell you, it was a beautiful day, a beautiful night. We left. We were the last plane to leave the airport. And if you know Palm Springs, going there from Southern California, driving east to Palm Springs, you pass through two big, beautiful mountains. And on this particular night, it was stunningly beautiful. It was the summertime. It was that beautiful, nice, dry air, not a breeze. But, you know, when we went up about a 1,000 feet or so, maybe, I, I mean, I don't remember how high, but usually a couple thousand feet, or at least a 1,000 feet, okay. we hit a huge pocket of turbulence that knocked the plane, you know, uh, you know, way off course and... We, uh, the pilot, lost control of the pl- of the plane, and so we were wow. on our way down. And uh, somehow, you know, I just remember him yelling, "I can't control the plane! I can't control the plane!" Oh and, my gosh! You know, saying the hail mary and all of these things. And somehow or another, you know, he was able to gain control of the plane at the last few minutes, and or, oh. you know, save the day. I can't imagine what must have been going through your head. Oh. But you know. At first, it was like, oh, wow, this is some serious turbulence. Right. And uh, my stomach was certainly being thrown around in knots and felt like butterflies were in there. And I'm emptying the purse because I thought I was going to throw up, you know, and get (laughs) sick from the whole thing. And when he started panicking about losing control of the plane, and we could hear someone in the tower talking to us and telling us that the the turbulence had blown us about 1,000 feet off course and the, uh, the lights on the plane were uh, no longer, he could no longer see the lights on the plane. And mm. so listening to the, the pilot and as well as the person in the tower talk, it was quite frightening. How old and were you, by the way? I don't mean to interrupt, but how old were you? How old am I now or no, how, how old was no, I No, how now? were you then? Were you in your 20s? Were you... Oh, I was, I was 18. Oh. 18 years old, yes. Whew. Sorry, yeah. go, go on. Anyway, it, it, it was quite frightening. So instead, instead of realizing I had to, I was about to get sick. I realized, or I thought, we're on our way down, and we're going to. He's lost control of the plane, and and this is it. So that's when I started praying, and you know, call it a miracle, call oh. it the power of prayer, we'll call it what you want. But somehow or another, he was able to gain control of the plane, and and. Uh, turn around and we ended up just spending the night on the tarmac that night there was no place to there no taxis and right. didn't have a credit card and didn't this was before cell phones and all of that so we literally all slept underneath the wing of the plane on the tarmac and probably very happily 
I would have been very happily hugging the tarmac, very happily. kissing and it. A, a little nervous <laughs> the next morning when we came time to leave, but we had uh, no problems on the way home the next day. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. And yeah. any other kind of crazy things that have happened to you? Oh, yeah. I've had a couple. I've, um, I've been locked in a library with a gunman. <gasps> What? Uh, that, that was kind of. I don't really. That was kind of a, a short moment. I was in a library that was next door to a police officer, and they had brought somebody in. They arrested somebody, and uh, somehow or another, there was a struggle between him and the police officer. And he grabbed a gun and went next door to the library, and and I was in there with a couple other people. And this was in. Uh, I'm in Signal Hill in Long Beach area. Scary. And. So you know what I've learned? Whenever you see or hear helicopters overhead, that's not really a good sign. No. And no. <laughs> police came in, told us to go right in some corner of the you know, the library, and told us to stay low and what was going on. And that all ended within a matter of a half an hour. But that that was exciting. And then I was driving on my car. I had a, an old T bird, a Thunderbird. They had the long nose and. Somehow or another, I got lodged underneath the bed of an 18-wheeler truck, and everything was fine for a few minutes. Uh, the, the truck had stopped. I was stopped. We weren't going at fast pace at all, and the truck driver later said that he felt like he ran over a cone. You know, that's probably how it felt. And looked in the rearview mirror, and he saw me. He saw the car lodged underneath the bed of the truck, but... For some crazy reason, he felt that the best way to get out of the situation was to continue with the turn he was making, and so, you know, I was a good two oh. feet away from the rear right lug nuts of his tire, and I, I'm very lucky, very lucky, you very are. blessed, some would say, that, you know, I didn't break any bones, I didn't break any skin, I, I did a tremendous amount of muscle skeletal damage, but... Oh my gosh! You know he so he ran over my car as opposed to ran over me. I don't know how he could think he rode over a cone. I don't think he'd even feel a cone. At, you know, an eighteen wheeler would feel anything like that. Yes, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. I keep thinking, you know, there are some people that just make poor decisions, and that right. certainly was a very poor decision on his part. It's like saying, I think I ran over a soda can driving an eighteen wheeler. You wouldn't know, but a yes. car, you know. And he saw my car. He yeah. acknowledged he saw the car when he looked in his his rear, you know, side mirror off the right side of his car, the the oh. truck. And uh, it was I was clearly the, the 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 you know front of my car was clearly underneath sure. the bed of his truck. Wow. But, you know. Whoa! Now, when you go through these different things that have happened to you, do you say, "I'm fine. Nothing's going to happen. I'm going to make it through." When these things are happening, or are you just beside yourself? You know what? That's exactly the thought process I have. And in some ways, that's good. And in other ways, that's bad. Because some things, you can't make a big deal out of it. You know, I mean, when I think of things that happen with nature, for example, the black widow spider bite and and the near plane crash, those are acts of nature. And it was just the time, you know. And you find ways to you survive and you get well and you move on and and it's to me they're just part of life right. but another part of life is when some something happens to you certainly that's happened to me where it's been brought on by man mm-hmm. and maliciously or through a bad choice for example 
the truck driver. It mm-hmm. was a very bad choice. Right. You know, the, these things happen, and in those circumstances, when something negative has been brought on to you or to myself, I think it's important to take another look at that and say, okay, really, how am I dealing with this? Because some of them can be very malicious. They can be what I call acts of evil. And, you know, when someone really tries to hurt you, that's a time where I think, uh, you know, in some ways, yeah, I like the idea of just getting on. But in other ways, I think it's important to really take a second look at the thought process. How is How am I doing emotionally? How am I doing physically? Do I need someone to help me? you know, uh, make sense of the situation so I can move on with peace of mind because of all of the things that had happened to me, that's the one, there's one thing that ha- that did that I did not take that time to really evaluate my emotions and my health. Mm-hmm. And it it, uh, it really weared on me for a number of years. And, you know, and that, because of it, because of me not making some good choices, uh, I made some poor choices because I wasn't, I wasn't, I did not have a peace of mind. I wasn't, uh, um, I was not, I was struggling, emotionally struggling. And, and with right. that, um, I don't know, is this a good time to talk about what had happened to me where I'm, where I'm kind of alluded yes. to? Yes, uh, because yeah. it is uh, alluded to in your bio. And also, was it something, did this happen when you were young? This happened when I was 19. Okay, okay. This happened 19, and roughly from 19 to 8 to, uh, to about 23. Mm-hmm. Um there was a guy that I did not know that had attacked me. He had raped me, mm-hmm. and um, and also at the, that night that it happened. Um, no, I don't. I have to just say, I, in some weird way, I'm going to defend him to an extent. I don't think he realized that he was. Uh, I was felt that my my life was in danger uh, of dying because I was being strangled by my clothes. And oh. I don't think he realized he was strangling me, and it's, without oh. going into a lot of detail. Okay, okay. Um, I don't think he that was his intent. I think his intent was just to rape me. Okay. And, but I certainly felt my life was at danger. And after it was all said and done, that was a moment where I thought, just like the Black Widow spider bite and the 18-wheeler accident and, and you know, or the plane crash. I mean, the 18-wheeler accident happened later, but the mm-hmm. plane accident, the near-plane crash, I just thought I could get up and move on and just ignore it and not... Uh, that's pretty know, heavy so to confused. ignore that. Yeah, that's heavy to ignore that. That's, you know, emotional scarring as well. It is, you know, and the the sad thing is, is I had not been with anybody before, so I was a virgin, and mm-hmm. I was completely confused about the whole process. You know, I was, mm-hmm. very, I was raised very, you know, spiritually, religiously Catholic, where, you know, um, you give up your pain to God, you trust your neighbor, you turn the other cheek, these kinds of things, and... The idea, I mean, I never knew anybody that had done anything evil, or, mm-hmm. or I didn't know anybody that had anything evil happen to them. I just didn't yeah. have a concept of how to deal with it. Sure. And so consequently, I thought, well, it'll just go away if I ignore it. And the, that's the number one mistake I made, was not trying to find some sort of justice for it by you know, um, getting the police involved or telling my family or telling a friend, you know, finding some way 
to um, bring justice. So you to never the told. Excuse me. You never told anyone. Well, I to- eventually I told some people, mm-hmm. but um, I just thought, in my confusion and all of this, I just thought it would go away, mm-hmm. and that I needed to just move on. And that just didn't happen because he ended up stalking me for the next couple of years. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, he ended up uh, raping me a second time. And though I cannot prove it, I believe he was the one who shot at me one night as I went to get into my car. Tell, and, tell me that they know, caught this guy. Did they catch, pardon me? Did they catch this guy? No, they didn't. Because oh here's what happens. And if you don't report it at first, you don't find justice, you don't try, try to get some sort of support system, at least for me, and I think I'm speaking for a number of other women, because approximately 60% of women who have been sexually assaulted do not report it. Right. There's still so much taboo, even at this day and age, there's still a lot of taboo and shame that's brought to it, you know, and so that's just, that's what reality is. And uh, the longer I went without talking about it, the bigger and heavier my secret got. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, well, now how can I talk about it now? I should have talked about it then, you sure. know, and it just it just didn't, I just thought that nobody would believe me or they would be angry or, you know, I just thought, I just added on all of these negative emotions, you know, yeah. to my own self because I, I didn't say anything from the beginning. Sure, sure. Yeah. And then... How did your life unfold after that? Did you take all that sadness and pain and do something else, or did you find that you were lost for a while? I was lost for a good 14 years. Whoa. And, yeah, well, you know, on the surface, everything seemed to be fine. You know, I I went and I got married, and we Mm -hmm. bought a house, and I got my degree and raised a dog. I mean, I never had any children, but... Mm -hmm. um, you know, on the surface, everything seemed to be fine. But internally, I really struggled with confidence, with finding peace and happiness. I um, suffered what's called post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. PSTD is primarily known um, with the military, so people that go to battle and then they come back. And it happens to, but it can happen to anybody who feels that their life has been in danger at some point. So men, women, children, adults, it has no boundaries on who can get this. And what happens is it, it, it causes people to have a tremendous amount of fear. You have a lot of nightmares, a lot of distrust. You get startled quite easily. And I didn't realize it at the time, but when, that's exactly what was what I was suffering. And I think it's a combination of everything that, I, that had happened to sure. me from maybe even as young as, you know, the Blackwood or Spider Bite, I don't know. But certainly in my mind, I knew that my life was at danger because of the Blackwood or Spider Bite. I was told that I had approximately 15 minutes to live if I hadn't made it to the hospital. Whoa. So I always knew that that was life-altering, life, my life was in danger because of the Black Widow. But that, and you, you take what happened with the 18-wheeler, you, you, the, the plane crash, you take all of these, these things, and it just added to the thought of my life being a danger. But that's certainly the, the stalking and the raping and the being shot at. Those were the, uh, what is the right way to just uh, solidified it. Mm-hmm. 
in my mind. And for a long time, what I ended up doing was I'd have this thought process. I could go anywhere, grocery store or a, a restaurant, school, and I'd think, okay, you know, if someone is going to come in here and get me or, or <sighs> shoot at me, what are my options? How do I get out? And so I never, for a long time, I didn't have a very peaceful mind thought process. I had more of a, how am I going to get out of this, this situation as opposed to how am I going to enjoy this moment? You always thought something bad was going to happen to you. I always did. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting. And when did you become a corporate responsibility advocate? Well, that happened when I was working for Disney. Mm -hmm. Disney owned, at one time, the Anaheim Angels baseball team and the Mighty Ducks hockey team. And I worked for both of the teams. I was um, advertising manager, so I worked with all of their corporate sponsors and helped them create campaigns around advertising sponsorship campaigns around the teams. Mm-hmm. And that meant that if um, some of my clients included Nissan and Target and Anheuser-Busch, JCPenney's, and That's if great. any of those clients, certainly if they wanted to do something in broadcast, I would help them with the broadcast campaign. But if they wanted to include program advertising or food and beverage or player participation or community outreach, all of these things were at my disposal to create a campaign for that client. And almost every single one of the clients wanted to do something uh, that involved the community outreach. And during this time, I also had a good friend that was the um, executive director for the Kaiser Permanente Watts Counseling and Learning Center. Mm-hmm. And he asked if I could, you know, send some, if any of the kids there in Watts could go to watch a game. That was easy enough to do. You know, I called our community affairs department and they arranged that. Okay. And then I thought, shoot, I know a lot of people in the skiing industry. So I called some people I know up at, I think it was Snow Summit, and a friend over at Gold Coast Tours, a bus company, and mm-hmm. a friend down over at Oakley Goggles, and and uh, through these various connections, I was able to arrange for uh, 40 of the kids at the counseling, Watts Counseling and Learning Center to go skiing for the day. Oh, nice. And it was, yeah, I, and you know what, I never really thought much about it. I just thought it would be fun for them to do, and so that off they went. They had the transportation taken care of and goggles from Oakley, and all the, oh, the only thing the kids had to do was bring their lunch, and when they got there, the ski resort took care of the rentals for them and had people teach them how to ski for the day, and we were able to get jackets for them, and it was just really... So nice. To me, I just thought it was a fun thing to do. Right. And then after it was all said and done, I got letters from the kids and pictures, <sighs> and I realized that none of the kids had been out of Watts. It was a, mm. a major life-altering experience for them. Sure. So that means that these kids, for the first time, you know, got on a bus, got out of Watts, mm-hmm. you know, which was a first for them, right. got to see the pine trees, smell the clean, fresh air, and see snow, play in it. They got, you know, they got to learn a sport that they probably would never have learned before. They probably had a blast, and, yeah. I mean, I just was, I was overtaken with, with uh, happiness 
for these kids. And just, it overwhhelms me, the idea that it was so life-altering for them. It's so nice. Yeah, so nice. and then, you know, uh, later I had a conversation with my friend from Oakley, and he said, you know, I didn't realize that you had Mitsubishi and Burton Snowboards involved. And I thought, the heck? I didn't have them involved. <laughs> so, you know, I did some research, and I called both organizations, and come to find out they had a great program called Chill. Mm-hmm. They basically did the same thing, but they were working in about seven different markets around the United States. They worked with three nonprofits in each of the markets. And on Monday, one group of kids would go up. The second, and Tuesday, a second group would go up. And on Wednesday, the third group. And for seven weeks, I think it was, they did this. And over that course of time, these kids would learn how to snowboard. That is so nice. Wow. I know. It was wonderful. Beyond nice. It's just so, so and, meaningful. And, I'm sorry, what's that? It's so meaningful what you did. Oh, my gosh. It was, you know what, if this is true. You know, you, you give and you receive far more than you give. Right. And it was through this conversation with Mitsubishi that I learned the term corporate social responsibility because I never, I mean, this was in 2000 or I think it was in near 2000 that this all happened. And, I mean, I understood why Burton was doing it. Logically, okay, they're teaching the kids how to snowboard, and hopefully the kids will buy the product. But I couldn't understand why Mitsubishi was doing it. And they told me, well, it's part of their corporate social responsibility program where they want to find ways to give back to the community to share uh, appreciation for their success. And I thought, what is that term? And ever since I heard that term, I thought, there's got to be a way that I can incorporate this in what I do. That's, that's when it all began. It's fantastic. All thanks, thanks to them. By the way, if you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Janine. We're talking to Anne-Marie Dulabon, and this is the Get the Funk Out show. We're going to take a quick break, Anne-Marie, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Okay. All right, hang tight. Thank you. The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org. I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. I go to school with your children. We say the Pledge of Allegiance together. You've seen me around the neighborhood, and you've told me I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every four children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. This problem is closer than you think. My teacher tells me we could grow up and be whatever we want. I want to grow up and be someone who doesn't go to bed hungry. There's enough food in this country to feed everyone. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for kids like me, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The Claire Trevor School of the Arts has many dance, drama, music, and studio arts performances throughout the school year on the campus of UC Irvine. Events range from student ensembles to master classes given by professionals throughout the year that are open to the public. For more information on events and ticket prices, visit www.arts.uci.edu.
McGruff the Crime Dog here with my nephew Scruff. Here's the address for my new free comic activity book. Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. It shows kids what to do about guns and drugs and bullies and strangers. And it's got games and puzzles, too. Write it down now. Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. A public service message from this station, the U.S. Department of Justice, the Crime Prevention Coalition, and the Ad Council. Hi, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm your host, Janine, and we're back with Anne-Marie Delabon, and this is the Get the Funk Out Show. Welcome. Thank you for having me here. I really appreciate this. Well, your, your story is really interesting, and it definitely is so relevant to my theme of Get the Funk Out. And could you share really how, you know, you got your own funk out after 14 years? Oh, I certainly can. And, you know, it, it starts with... Uh a simple little story dealing with a dog named Amigo and okay. Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> I love it. Okay, I got to hear this. Okay, so here's the scoop. I'm I'm married now. I'm uh, we decided to raise a dog for the blind, Guide Dogs of America, mm-hmm. and we just got the puppy. And I'm home one night by myself, and Amigo needs to go outside and get busy, as they say. Mm-hmm. And it's like ten o'clock at night, and I didn't want to go outside. I was still so full of fear that something was going to happen to me, and being home alone, it was dark outside. I was just frightened to be there by myself. Sure. But, you know, this beautiful little puppy is staring at me, needing to go outside, so I grabbed what I call my my best weapon, which is comfort food. (laughs) Yep. Ben and Jerry's Chunky Monkey Ice Cream, to be exact. Love it. (laughs) Yeah, I love it, too. And I went outside and found we have a we have a hammock outside and I went and laid on the hammock and it was this again most beautiful summer night and it was in August and the sun, the stars were out beautiful and it was this nice warm evening and I'm rocking in the hammock and eating my chunky monkey and mm-hmm. Amigo is staring at me and I don't know what you want to call it but it was like for the first time in about 14 years I had this clear mind nothing was i was just Mm -hmm. i I guess you could say i was at peace okay and i hadn't had i hadn't experienced that in such a long time it just hit me that i had so much peace at that moment it was such a beautiful beautiful moment and also i was in school i i was in an english class i just finished reading a maya angelo book and it hit me that moment, I thought, oh, my gosh, I know why the caged bird sings. Oh. Yeah. Whoa. I just realized that for the previous 14 years, I had been focusing on the wrong thing. I had been focusing on all of this evil that had been brought to me instead of who I was supposed to be. And I just thought, if all of these things hadn't happened to me, who would I have been? Interesting. And, yeah, and I thought, gosh, you know, what would my life have been like? Would I have been married? Would I have lived there? Would I have gone to this school? Would I, you know, who would I have been? And I made it a quest right then and there that I wanted to discover who I was supposed to be. Okay, okay. So it took me a long time. That was, oh, gosh, I don't have the years in front of me. But anyway, it took me a number more years, not until really 2009, did I, I mean, it was just a long process, and 
but always trying to find ways to eliminate the negative thoughts. So for the first time in reality, how sad is this? For the first time, I had gone to counseling. I had never gone to counseling before. Unbelievable. Ne- never wanted to, didn't want to talk about it. That was the problem is I, I kept thinking, I just didn't want to say certain things aloud. I didn't want to relive it. And I kept thinking if I push it away, shove it underneath the rug, so to speak, it would go away. But that just doesn't, that's just how it is. Because the longer you hold on to a secret, especially one that is so devastating. It's true. You can't, you know, it only brings destruction. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, bring peace. Mm. And anyway, I went to counseling found, you know, a number of clarity, was, was able to understand things more clearly, mm-hmm. but still dealt with a number of negative thought processes. Still, up until even 2009, had that process where, how am I going to get out of this situation? If someone's going to shoot at me or come at me, how I really had a strong desire to just want to find a way to enjoy the moment. And uh, naturally... I've always been an athlete, and I've competed here and there in certain things. I've done long bike rides, and I've done ocean swim competitions. And ever since, and, well, how, excuse me, how long have you been an athlete? Oh, ever since I was a kid, I was a serious tomboy. Nice, loved it. Loved being a tomboy. Loved running around and had horses, and you know, sw- I was when I was a kid. I swam uh, with the. Um, Matadors, I think, I can't remember the name, but even I was so 10 years old, 10, 11, 12 years old, I was on swim, swim schools and, and teams. And That's great. Yeah, I always loved it. And in 2000, 2001, I did a charity ride for AIDS awareness where we rode our bikes from San Francisco down into, back into Los Angeles. And again, something negative happened to me there where, you know, on the second day of the ride, another cyclist hit me, and I, I'm i told I did a very graceful flip over my handlebars and but landed face first in a gravel pit. Ugh. So, yeah. How were you injured very badly? I was, you know, again, very blessed. No broken bones, but, you know, I had uh, the right side of my face was scraped off, and, you know, the um, ambulance brought me into the hospital for about three hours. I was in full traction where you can't move an mm-hmm. eighth of an inch. And so that experience really taught me the love of walking and just being able to move. And, you know, just, I have a, a newfound respect for anyone that has had back injuries. But um, so it, it was another thing that added, you know, here I want to move forward, but I feel like moving back a couple steps because of that accident. So, mm-hmm. it, But at that time, I also had a desire to do an Ironman. And I knew I was a good swimmer and a good cyclist, but I'm not a good runner. So I found my, my mental energy at that time, this was again in 2000, was to the point where I wouldn't take the leap of doing something I wanted to do because I always feared it just wouldn't work out. Mm-hmm. And... By the year 2009, I said, forget it. I really want to do an Ironman. And that was solidified after I heard all of these great stories about people who had physically overcome challenges uh, to go on and compete in the Ironman. 
and I thought, well, mm-hmm. they can physically do it, and they don't have legs. Right. <laughs> or, you know, if they just had a heart transplant or whatever it might be. If they can physically do it, then I know I can physically do it. And I spoke to someone who had done an Ironman, and he said, really, it's all a mental game. Sounds like it, yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, this is it. I can use the training for the Ironman Mm -hmm. as a way to not only physically discipline myself to do it, but mentally discipline myself. I mean, could I do the entire race, 17 hours if need be, without having one negative thought? And? I I was having a hard time going, you know, five minutes without a negative thought. Yeah. And the Ironman, for those who are not familiar with it, it's an endurance triathlon. We start off with a 2.4 mile open water swim. Whoa. And, yep. And then we, and that's not in a pool, that would be in a lake or river or an ocean. And then we ride our bikes for 112 miles. And then we get to run a full marathon, 26.2 miles. Oh my gosh. And this is all 17 hours or so? You're, you're given 17 hours to complete it. Now, let me back up a second. Were you a good swimmer? I was a very, I've always been a great swimmer. Okay. Always been a good cyclist. Not a good runner. Oh, yes. my gosh. I can't even... So how long did you train for this? I trained a year for it. Mm-hmm. I started training, and the race was in November of 2010. It was in Arizona, Tempe, Arizona. And the first six months of my training was just getting my body in shape in order to do the hardcore training. Mm -hmm. So it took a while. But, again, the goal was to find a way to find peace of mind and to enjoy every moment of it, even under such crazy physical conditions. Could I get through that 17 hours without having one negative thought? That was my goal. And did you? Yes, I did. I can say so proudly, so happily that I did, And but it was a serious, serious work in progress because... I just did not know how to do it. And a good friend of mine, the the gentleman that helped me uh, or that I knew from the Watts Counseling and Learning Center, his name is Dr. Mario uh, Woodruff Johnson. He's got his doctorate in psychology, and he had created a CD for me. It's about 45 minutes, Mm -hmm. and it's called Focused Intentions. And when he gave it to me, he said, just listen to this as much as you can. So sometimes I would listen to it a couple times a day, sometimes a couple times a week. It, depending on how my, my thoughts were going, I would tune into it. Okay. But every time I ran, I would play it and listen to it. And the beauty of this CD is that it wasn't mentioning me by name. It wasn't mentioning that I was attacked or raped or shot at or run over by an 18-wheeler. It was just talking about life in general, you know, as a, uh, for a person finding happiness, finding peace, finding forgiveness. Because the challenge with with what happened to me, and I'm sure I can speak for a number of other people, is that when something negative happens, it's so difficult to visualize yourself as somebody else beyond a victim. Sure. And... And that can happen with anybody. It doesn't have to have, you don't have to relate to my story. It could be, it could be happen the same way if you're in a relationship and one person cheats on the other. Mm-hmm. It could be happen within a business and someone wants to steal your idea or steal your clients or it could happen, you know, with, uh, 
Anything. a drunk driver yeah. accident, you know, whatever it is, when something negative is thrown on you, so many people um, front in line on this, you know, can view themselves more as a victim. That's right. And, and stay there mm-hmm. and not try to find a way to move beyond it. And this CD was really wonderful for me to see myself as being strong and healthy and successful and connecting with other people and having peace of mind and finding forgiveness. And it was just really a wonderful, wonderful gift that he gave me. What a a huge accomplishment, physically, emotionally, everything. It was. It really was. It was the best day of my life, I have to say. Wow. It was really, really wonderful. And what are you doing now? Well, I'm training for more Ironman. Oh, you are? Good <laughs> I'm, I'm addicted. I have to say I love them. I absolutely love them. But this year, I mean, I'm only going to do a half Ironman. I will do one in April in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've also become a motivational speaker because after the Ironman, um, USA Triathlon, they're the sanctioning bodies for all triathlons, they were looking for human interest stories, and Jeanine, i got to say, this is like a God thing. I don't know how else to describe it, because like (laughs) I said, I I really didn't share my story with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. There were certain people in my family that didn't even know what had happened to me, Mm -hmm. and yet I saw this email saying that they're looking for human interest stories, and without thinking, I just wrote my story, and I sent it to them. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what in the heck did I just do? You know, (laughs) this this is the craziest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And sure enough, they said they wanted to feature me. So in the April issue of uh, last year in 2011's magazine, they featured me as an inspirational athlete. Amazing. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah, you never know where life takes you. It's just, you know, this is it. If once you embrace life and you you no longer hold on to these dark secrets and you yeah. you find peace and happiness, you know, everything starts unfolding as it should be. It's beautiful. It's it was, absolutely wonderful. And, uh, and cathartic. What, Look what you did, writing that letter. It's so cathartic. You just, you know, how healing. It was. And more than that... It's the same thing as when I brought the kids up to, uh, the kids in Watts up to skiing. You know, you give, but then you receive far more because after that article was featured, people started asking me to be a motivational speaker, which I thought I've never in a thousand years <laughs> talk about this story, especially on such an open platform. But mm-hmm. I thought, okay, why not? And oh my gosh, the people that came up to me afterwards. Mm. Oh, so heartwarming, you know, it's, and it was so wonderful because they were sharing their stories and they, they were hoping, they thought that my insight could bring them peace and happiness as well because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really, when I, when I gave a speech, I didn't want to just focus on the negative side of what had happened to me. I wanted to find a way to help people overcome all of that. So what I did is I shared three emotional tools or mental tools that I used to eliminate negative thoughts. And then I shared seven Iron Man training tools that I used to succeed in that race that anyone can use. doesn't matter what the goal is, whether it's business or personal or training for an Iron Man. If you have a goal and you're trying to find a way to succeed, these are, these are tips that they can use. Could you share those? Could you first share the first three you just mentioned? 
Um, well, the first, yes, I certainly can. The first is that, you know, if it's one of the things that you have to do is visualize yourself as being beyond, like for me, I had to visualize myself as someone beyond a victim. Mm-hmm. And that's where that CD came into place, as I could start seeing myself as someone else besides, you know, a victim. I started seeing myself as a thriving, happy, peaceful, forgiving person that's connected to everybody nice. that's, that comes into my path. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is that you have to become aware of your thoughts. Easier said than done. Yeah. You know, but once you start becoming aware of your thoughts, that's when you really start gaining some power with your life. Because once you become aware of a negative thought, then you have the ability to choose a positive frame instead. Right. So, for example, for me, uh, let's say I'm driving down the freeway and an 18-wheeler is on my left-hand side. You know, I didn't realize it until I started taking on this thought process that every time I went by an 18-wheeler, I would become really full of tension. And I might get a headache or I would put me in a bad mood or sure. I was jittery or whatever it might be. But once I started becoming aware, oh, okay, you know, this is giving me a little, this is shooting a, giving me a shot of nerves or whatever it might be, I would just change the course of action. I'd go on the right side of the truck instead of the left side. I mean, that's kind Perfect. of a simplistic point of view. But yes. the the point is that once you become aware of a negative thought, you have to start thinking of something positive. Sure. So I say to people, you know, if, if uh, and a negative thought can come from anything. It could be from, you know, uh, you're, you're in traffic and you can't stand sitting in traffic. It could be dealing with a client that is uh, angry for whatever reason. It could be dealing with a spouse where you feel like you're not getting enough loving from that person. Or it could be dealing with a child that's being very re- rebellious. Whatever it is that's causing you to think something negative, the moment you realize you're thinking negative about it, Start thinking of your blessings. Nice. I like that. And then once you realize what triggers you to have a negative thought, here's where the really strength comes in, is then you can become proactive with it. For example, let's say say, um, you have a child that's being rebellious, and you know you have to discuss something uh, at breakfast, or at lunch or dinner, wherever, with this child about schoolwork or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Before you have that conversation, you might be full of anxiety or frustration or negativity or whatever it might be. But if you start realizing, oh my gosh, this is really making me think negatively, you have to think about, okay, why do you have to deal with this? And it comes down to love, okay. Mm-hmm. Because I love this child. I want to see this child succeed. I want to see this child be happy and be peaceful and whatever. And when you start, when you start changing your thought process about something that normally brings you some, uh, a negative thought, you can approach it more with love and gratitude. Nice. I like that. Does that make sense? Yes, I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, uh, I'll give you a really cool example. I, um, when I was doing the Ironman, on the bike course, the course itself was a three-lap uh, course. And at the end of the lap, maybe about two miles before we would turn around, about, uh, about, two, about two miles before we turned around, I had to ride the bike underneath a bridge. But the wind was so strong on this race day 
that when you went underneath this bridge, it was as if you were riding through a wind tunnel. Whoa. Uh, and it was crazy. I mean, if you weren't held on correctly, if you weren't aware of it, you know, weren't ready for it, you could easily be blown off. In fact, there were a number of cyclists that were blown off their bikes and were, were hurt from it. And the first time it hit you, it was like, wow, okay. <laughs> that caught me by surprise. I didn't expect that. So the next time, I know I'm coming up to the bridge, so I'm ready mentally. All right, tucked in, ready, I deal with it. Mm-hmm. But by the third time now, by this time, I've ridden over 100 and probably um, 110 miles. I'm physically, physically exhausted. Sure. I know i got to go through the wind tunnel. But it takes so much more energy to go through that wind tunnel, I mean, just that 40 feet, than it does to go four miles on the bike. So I had to come up with something that would remind me why I was doing this, that would keep me positive and focused as opposed to dealing with the dread of having to go through the tunnel. Okay. And so I, I came up with what's called a bike song. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I sang my bike song loud and proud through that 40 feet of wind tunnel. And that focus nice. just kept me, you know, thinking, okay, I'm doing this because I want to do the Ironman. I'm, I'm staying focused. I'm staying driven. This is, this is just a simple little wind tunnel I'm going mm-hmm. through. It's only 40 feet. Success is on the other side. Did you sing out loud, by the way, to yourself? Oh, I sing it out loud. Nice. Loud and proud. Nice. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it goes to the Oscar Mayer hot dog song. Oh, how funny. Yeah, yeah. I won't ask you to sing it. I don't want to embarrass you. Unless oh, you want to sing it. I don't mind I don't mind. I don't know if we have time to sing it, but if, if we had time, I would sing it for you. Want to sing yeah. one line? <laughs> it's a very short song. Do we have time? Go Do for I have it. time to sing it? Yeah, go for it. Okay, this is, you know, I apologize to everyone because I don't have a good singing voice, but I'm trying to make a point. Everyone should come up with their own bike song when they've got a goal and something like a wind tunnel is trying to keep them from getting success and finishing that goal. They they need to come up with their own bike song. And my bike, I'll start off by saying that it, it, uh, its name is Rebel Cause. Nice. R-E-B-E-L-C-A-U-S-E. Okay, so here it goes. My bicycle's got a first name, it's R-E-B-E-L. My bicycle's got a second name, it's C-A-U-S-E. I love to ride my bike every day, and if you ask me why, I'll say there's no place I'd rather be than on my B-I-C-Y-C-L-E. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) Oh, you're amazing. How inspiring. Now, the people next to you, were they just smiling and giggling? I thought you were awesome, because I do. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's, just, it's, just, it's embarrassing, but it's, it gets me through the moment. Who cares? I don't know, you know, embarrassing not. Who cares? You know what? It got you through the moment, and it was so clever and creative and fun. Yeah, and, you know, this is the point, though. I mean, you've got to do kind of silly things. When you've got yes. a goal. You've got to find a way to stay focused on it, mm-hmm. stay positive. You know, if this is something that you completely, deeply believe in that you need to do, then you've got to do whatever it takes to make it happen. Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, if people uh, want more information about you, do you have a website you can direct them to? Yeah, they sure can. They can, they can go to uh, com, and that's spelled D-U-L-E-B as in boy, O-H-N.com, com. Wonderful. And your bio that you sent me is up there as well? I think so. I hope so. If not, I'm going to go post it. Okay. And it's also on my blog, which is org. 
So yes. what's, what's coming up next for you? Well, I've got, I was just booked for two motivational speeches. I'm going to Bellingham, Washington later this month. I'm going to be speaking to a group of real estate agents from Keller Williams. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking nice. forward to that. I am going to be doing my half Ironman race in April. And I'm working with a couple of con- uh, companies. One of them is a Fortune 1000 company and a couple of other uh, companies on their corporate social responsibility. I, I primarily focus on the communication aspect. I'm, so if a company wants to find a way to strategize their CSR program, mm-hmm. then I help them with that. If they're looking for a social cause that they want to tie into, I help them research and identify a good social cause or, or you know, I can create cause marketing campaigns, and that would be something like, let's say, tied to breast cancer awareness or homeless or adult financial literacy or something dealing with pets or cancer prevention. And, you know, and there's so many thousands of different social causes. They all need support. And right. so companies, they're looking for one to tie into to bring their employees involved or their other stakeholders. I help them with that and That's help fantastic. them write write articles or annual reports, anything with communication, communicating CSR I help with. So That is great. You're just amazing and so inspiring, and I love your song. I think all of us should have a song when we're faced with fear. <laughs> well, I think so. You know, it's just it's, it's what you got to do. you got to do, uh, you know, I'd rather laugh at these things than cry. I've cried too much in my life, and it's no fun. I agree. That doesn't get you anywhere, you know, so why not find something silly I agree. You know, to kind of get you through the moment. Absolutely. Anne-Marie, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And thank you. Uh, I wish you well. Keep me updated on what's going on with you. I will, and thank you for letting me be on your show. I had a wonderful time visiting with you. And I'm gonna, I'll email you. I'm going to post this uh, whole interview up on my blog, and I'll get back to you pretty soon. Okay, thank you so much. All right, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out, and I'm going to leave you with a uh, track from Cambria Dekinoff, Simply Said, This is Love Will Find the Way, and have a fantastic Monday, and I'll see you back here next Monday at 9 o'clock. I'm your host, Janine, with Get the Funk Out. Up next, Cure for the Blues. Look around